Abingdon Muster Grounds tells a story of courageous people from Southwest Virginia and East Tennessee during the Revolutionary War. They were people willing to stand up for democracy and freedom against the British crown, and after traveling what is now known as the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail, fought and won the Battle of Kings Mountain, which turned the tide in the battle against the powerful British army. After being closed during the pandemic, the Muster Grounds is back in operation and ready to relay its valuable history to visitors. Leanne Hunter is a former superintendent of the Muster Grounds, where the patriotic volunteers assembled and trained. She now serves on the board of directors for this National Historic Site and volunteers as a guide to the many visitors who want to know more about the colonial backcountry in the pivotal and perhaps underappreciated role this region played in American independence. And I'm welcoming to this discussion Leanne Hunter. Thank you, Leanne, for being here today. Thanks for asking me, Dirk. Let's talk about the Overmountain Victory National Trail. How is that part of a national trail system, and how did it become so? Sure, yeah, the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail is one of 19 national historic trails in the trail system. Um, the trail system as a whole um, has 30, about 30 trails, I believe is the current number. Um, and people are pretty familiar with the scenic trails, like the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. These are often walkable trails, hikeable trails, and recreational trails. Um, and then there's the 19 National Historic Trails, which are not always entirely walkable. They're often commemorative motor routes and may have some walkable sections. It takes a little bit um, longer to gain easements. There's a little bit more restriction on where you can put physical trail on ground. It needs to be in the historic corridor. Mm. So it, it takes a little bit longer, but um, it takes an act of, act of Congress to get that designation. And it is um, usually overseen by the National Park Service or the BLM, Bureau of Land Management. So some of the National Historic Trails that I think most people might recognize are things like the Oregon Trail, the Lewis and Clark Trail, uh, Selma to Montgomery. Um, these are the Pony Express. These are stories um, in our nation's history about people moving for one reason or another that had some, you know, a significant impact. Um, and so those are some of the historic stories that are big in our nation's history, and people may not be as familiar with the Overmountain Victory, um, the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail, but it is right here, and the Abingdon Muster Grounds is the northern trailhead. It's located in Abingdon. How long has it had that designation? It, it was designated as a National Historic Trail in 1980. Um, Senator Broyhill at the time introduced the legislation, which brought that to be a National Historic Trail 200 years after the Battle at Kings Mountain, which took place in 1780. And the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail follows the route of the Overmountain Men to the Battle at Kings Mountain, which took place in South Carolina. How did this designation come about? Did somebody advocate for it? In the 1970s, this group of um, historians and enthusiasts um, who wanted to keep the story alive, started hiking the whole way. They'd camp in the places that the Overmountain Men camped, and then they'd, they'd hike, and it was often down roadways. They'd invite scouts to join them and, um, and the public, and they'd often have to have like um, a parade marshal to make sure that it was safe for them to hike down the roads. And they would take two weeks doing this commemorative campaign, working their way from Abingdon over to Sycamore Shoals, across Roan Mountain and Yellow Mountain, and down on in, uh, into the Piedmont and down to South Carolina to the, where the battle was. And over the years, it started catching people's attention that these people dressed in funny clothes, here they were coming 
crossing through the mountains again, and they were asked would were asked why they were doing this. And so this group started telling the story more and hiking less. This was going on, I guess, as the country was preparing for the bicentennial. So they, they really started doing this commemorative campaign in the 70s, and they still do it today. They don't walk down the roads anymore. Now the Overmountain Victory Trail Association tells a lot of stories, and they do this for a lot for fourth grade students. And I think in the, some of the last years in the two-week campaign, they've reached about 20,000 people in person. I want to talk about some of those stories later on in this interview, but first I want to talk a little bit about what the colonial backcountry is. Mm -hmm. How does that add to people's understanding of colonial America? Sure. Um, so the colonial backcountry, you know, uh, most of our cl the colonial cities were coastal. Um, you think of Williamsburg being the capital of the colony of Virginia. The Blue Ridge Mountains were, uh, they're, they're a buffer now, and they were definitely a buffer back then. And in fact, the king had drawn a line that ran right down the mountains. Um, it was called the Proclamation Line of 1763. And it was one of the treaties he had made with Native Americans. And he had said all the colonists would stay east of the line and everything west of the line would remain um, native lands. And so the fact that settlers were even out here was defiant against the crown. There was definitely European settlers living out here during the colonial era. It was rugged. This was the far west. This was the wilderness. Um, and they were living pretty independently out here, far removed from those seats of colonial power. So you've got some situations like the Watauga Association, who is a group over in near Elizabethton nowadays, that really formed their own local government to be able to take care of local needs since they were so far removed. So this really was the backcountry. So they really didn't have any governance beyond that, which they created for themselves. Yeah, I mean, there, there were the, the colonial governors. They were under, you know, under their jurisdiction of the colonial governors, but they were so far removed. So to deal with any local issues of, you know, horse thieving or anything, they, they set up their, their own systems to mm -hmm. be able to to handle these local issues. And a lot of the people that had settled out here were of Scots-Irish descent. They had already left British rule. They didn't like it. And they were living out here, as I said, pretty independently and in some cases defiantly. What did they have to contribute then perhaps to the revolution, given that they were sort of defiant, that they were sort of, even though they were under colonial governance, they were probably reluctantly so? A lot of the people that had settled out here were on land grants because they had fought in the French and Indian War. So some, some of those... People were given land because of their earlier engagements. At the time of the Battle of Kings Mountain in the year 1780, the war had been going on for about five years and was kind of at a stalemate. George Washington and the Continentals hadn't won anything for years, much less anything decisive. And the British thought, rightfully, that they could come south and recruit loyalists to fight for the king because about a third of the people in the southern colonies were loyal to the king. A third were seen as patriots, and then a third would kind of flip around depending on what power was in town or what suited them at, at the time. Um, and so the British came south. They took Charleston and the siege of Charleston. They basically wiped out any continental presence in the southern colonies and were having these, these successes raising up loyalist militia, and they were going to sweep through Virginia and go confront George Washington and the Continentals. Cornwallis was in charge of the British in the south, and his left flank man, British Major Patrick Ferguson, his job was to protect the left flank and to put down these pockets of resistance, because, as I said, about a third of the people were loyalists, third patriots. That was a really different case 
over here across the mountains, across the proclamation line. This area was heavily patriotic. They wanted independence. And some of the militia, because there was no continental presence out here in the backcountry, they depended on the local militias to come to places like the muster grounds and do weekly drills or monthly drills, excuse me, to drill about every month. And they often, the settlements would have forts like Black's Fort in Abingdon. So they depended on the local men and boys <laughs> to protect the home front. And Isaac Shelby, Colonel Isaac Shelby, he was a colonel of militia over in what's now East Tennessee in Bristol area. He had been known to take some of his militia down across the mountains and pester Patrick Ferguson and flee back into the mountains. And Ferguson must have gotten frustrated by this because he sent a threat across the mountains and told the patriots out here if they didn't lay down their weapons and submit to the king, he'd march his army over the mountains, hang their leaders, and lay waste the land with fire and sword. And that's what instigated this whole this whole thing. Mm-hmm. The colonels of the militia, including Colonel William Campbell of Washington County, Virginia, Arthur Campbell, his cousin and brother-in-law, all the colonels got together and kind of made this plan to gather their militia. They put out a call to arms and across the mountains and to confront Ferguson elsewhere and not let him let him come down and, and burn down their farms. What vestiges of that time do we still have in this area? Are there things beyond the muster grounds that visitors are pointed to? Yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff along the route of the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail. The Abingdon Muster Grounds is owned by the town of Abingdon. Um, there's a section of walkable trail there. But then you get down to like Sycamore Shoals is a Tennessee State Park. And that was a bigger encampment of the Overmountain men. The Virginian militia that left Abingdon went down to join with Isaac Shelby and John Sevier's militia at Sycamore Shoals. There's a lot of cemeteries that have these Revolutionary War soldiers interred there. They're all over. Um, even as I drive around these roads, on my on my way from my house in Glade to the radio station, I pass a house where one of the Overmountain men lived in his old age. Mm-hmm. Um, there, There's actually there's a cabin right across the street here. Right? We're sitting in the station at Emory and Henry College, and... And there's a Edmonston cabin right across the street. So if you're looking for it, there are there is a lot around mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. these these men. Well, Leanne Hunter, you are on the board of directors for the Abingdon Muster Grounds, and you are also a volunteer there who helps explain the story of the colonial backcountry. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to a break, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the Muster Grounds mm-hmm. and what it's like there, what the mm-hmm. experience is like there for visitors. You are listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia, and I am your host, Dirk Moore. You are also listening to WEHC 90.7, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Support for WEHC comes from the Lincoln Theater, presenting diverse artistic experiences, increasing awareness of local heritage and culture, and preserving the theater for future generations to enjoy. The Lincoln Theater is a home for music and culture in the heart of downtown Marion, 117 East Main Street, Marion, Virginia. Tickets and information at 276-783-6092 or online at thelincoln.org.
And welcome back to Together to Get There. I am talking today with Leanne Hunter. She is on the board of directors for the Abingdon Muster Grounds, and she's also a volunteer there who tells the story of the Over Mountain Men and the colonial backcountry history. And Leanne, during the break, we were talking a little bit about how significant that Battle of Kings Mountain was. Talk a little bit about the risk that those men and boys took to fight that battle and also how significant that battle was to really the ultimate victory of the patriots in the American Revolution. Sure, and Dirk, men and boys is correct. There was a there was a boy, a Breckenridge, that left the Abingdon Muster Grounds to go to the Battle of Kings Mountain. He was 13. And one of the people who was credited with an important incident at the battle, uh, Robert Young, was 64. So basically any able-bodied male was going on this campaign you know, responded to this call to arms to go confront this threat that British Major Patrick and Patrick Ferguson had sent. So I think that this was really significant that all these able-bodied men with their personal rifles decided to leave their home front, which they were charged to protect. So the militia all packed up and left to go confront Patrick Ferguson down in the Carolinas, leaving them pretty exposed here in the backcountry. In fact, Colonel William Campbell at first declined to go, thinking that if British Major Patrick Ferguson was successful in coming up here like he had threatened, that he might be trying to go attack the lead mines up near now-day Withville, Mm -hmm. um, and that he needed to be here to keep that from happening. But they they realized how important it was to go confront this threat, so they they packed up and left um, the women and children here to defend the the forts um, and the settlements and I think that this would have been um, a prime time for somebody to come in and attack something like Black's Fort mm-hmm. uh, with all the, the, the militia and their rifles gone. So they knew that this was a big risk, but yeah, it was important to go to keep Patrick Ferguson from coming out here and burning down their farm. So this was being militia. They were all volunteer. The men that left out of here with their personal hunting rifles on their horse, it was about a two week campaign for them up through the rugged mountains. They encountered snow, rain took about 500 pounds of black powder with them that was made by a woman named Mary Patton. That was a really risky thing for her to do, too, if she had been caught, mm-hmm. you know, that's treasonous to be making black powder. But they didn't really take much else with them, just what they could carry on their person or on their saddlebags. This wasn't like a big military movement with supply wagons and cook. It was just what, what they could carry themselves. So it was a rugged, hard campaign. But when they got to Kings Mountain fighting like they had learned to fight on the frontier and with their hunting rifles, they were able to kill or capture every single person on King's Mountain, including Patrick Ferguson, who had sent the threat. Patrick Ferguson had trained his men to fight like the British military did, which was with smoothbore muskets. They could load and fire rapidly about three rounds a minute, but they weren't very accurate, so they'd all line up and shoot at once. Now, I say he trained them to fight like the British did. His force weren't British. They were loyalists. They were they were colonists as well. Patrick Ferguson was the only British subject really on that mountain. The rest was, they were all colonists. Yeah. Just patriots or loyalists against one another. And these over mountain men, the patriots with their long rifles and their backcountry skills, even though their long rifles could only load and fire about one round a minute, they were extremely accurate, especially in the hands of mm-hmm. these long hunters. And, and they could pick Ferguson's men off from all sides of the mountain. They pushed up the mountain three times and either killed or captured every single one of them in an hour. And this was the battle that really turned the tide in the revolution. Yep. It made the American colonists believe that they could overcome this sort of daunting, well-armed foe in 
the British crown. Absolutely. They wiped out Cornwallis's left flank in an hour. It was the first big Patriot success in the South. It had broke that stalemate that had been going on. It raised the Patriot spirits. Thomas Jefferson said that it was the battle that turned the tide of success of the war. And it happened all right here. It did. It was the, the people, the militia, the men from, from right here, southwest Virginia, east Tennessee, western North Carolina. This part of central Appalachia was key to winning that revolution. Absolutely. Uh, Clinton, who was the overall commander of the British Army, said that uh, the Battle of Kings Mountain was the first link in a chain of evils leading to the total loss of the Americas. So that the Battle of Kings Mountain happened October 7th of 1780. Two months later, after this patriot uh, morale has been raised, Cornwallis lost his right flank at the Battle of Cowpens. A few months after that, there was a Battle of Guilford Courthouse in Greensboro, North Carolina, which was a British victory, but it was a big battle. And after losing the left flank at, at Kings Mountain and then the right flank at Cowpens, it wasn't sustainable anymore. And so he, as he's moving north, we know that he surrendered at Yorktown. That's usually the one thing that people know about the Southern Campaign of the Revolution and don't know of all the things that led up to it. Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown just a year and I think 11 days after the Battle of Kings Mountain. So this Southern Campaign was swift. Mm-hmm. It was decisive. And I think it's arguable that the revolution was really won in the South. Do you think the history books really reflect the significance of that battle and the contributions made by the the militia from this area? Absolutely not. I mean, I think the fact that um, the Overmountain Victory Trail is designated as a National Historic Trail is significant. And when you study this stuff and you look back at these the quotes and, and what people knew it, at the, in the day that it happened, how significant this battle was. But no, I think it's often glossed over in history books. I think it's often glossed over even in museums, even national museums about the revolution. Often the Southern Campaign is kind of looked over, and definitely the Battle of Kings Mountain is often a footnote. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a shame. I don't know if it's because it's Appalachian history or if it was militia and not Continentals and it's not as romantic of an idea. I'm not sure why it gets glossed over, but we're trying to help keep these stories alive at the Abbey and Muster Grounds and all along the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail. Talk about the Muster Grounds a little bit in terms of what the features are there that might help tell this story. Sure, yeah. It's located on Colonial Road in Abingdon. Um, it's a nine-acre park. The original muster site would have been larger, um, but this was, at the time, about a mile outside of town. There's a big open meadow and a, a spring with a... There's an 18th century spring house still located on the property. So this was a good place for the militia to come and to drill, and the water source could support them. And um, and when the call to arms was put out, this was the obvious place to, to all meet and encamp before they went. So there is still, there's a nine-acre park there with the meadow, and there's an interpretive center there that has exhibits about life in the backcountry, just trying to flesh out some of what life was like, who the people were that lived out here. It really focuses on women of the backcountry and Native Americans that were out here, and as well as the militia in the campaign to Kings Mountain. So this, the exhibits aren't just about the battle. You know, mm-hmm. we're really trying to tell the stories of the backcountry of colonial Virginia. Sure. Um, and there are artifacts. This museum was put together with the help of a lot of groups and organizations and people, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Patricia Music Hatfield was the regent at the time that the museum was being developed, and this was her state project. So Daughters of the American Revolution from all over the state helped raise funds to help for the exhibits and and to showcase the artifacts that are there. 
what is your role there when you volunteered? What is the work that you generally do when you're on the grounds there? Sure. When I'm at the grounds, I'm, I'm there to greet visitors, to tell them about the significance of the Overmountain Men and the Battle of Kings Mountain, show people through the exhibits, give them information, of course, about the town and anything else that they can do while they're there. But we, ho- we host a lot of events as well with people in period dress so we can do different demonstrations and different storytelling um, depending on whether we're going to focus on the difference of the long rifle and the musket and do firing demonstrations, or we may have some backcountry women out there showing people about shearing wool and weave, weaving weaving, and cooking over the campfire or all kinds of different demonstrations. One, one that's often popular with the kids is we've got a militiaman who brings his horse and will show the way that he would have packed out his saddlebags and what he could have taken mm-hmm. with him on the campaign. Um, so we've got a big, passionate group of volunteers that that bring yeah bring their own stories and interpretation to this. Fife and Drum Corps. Um, we do these kind of events for tour buses that come through. Really, anybody if they schedule it, we'll we'll be there because we le- we love to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. So I know each each September we bring about fifteen hundred fourth graders to the muster grounds over three days. That's every fourth grader in Washington County, some from Smith County and, and Bristol. But 1,500 fourth graders come at no cost to the schools. What kind of understanding do you want them to walk away with after they visited the muster grounds? For me, I feel more enriched in knowing history of where I am. So I think even just the awareness that people here in, had a big impact in our nation's history. And then, you know, because I'm not from here, but I think for a lot of people who have family roots here, that people come away with a sense of pride um, in what their ancestors were able to do and the roles that they played. And a lot of people don't know these stories mm-hmm. or don't know that they've got Revolutionary War ancestors. Um, I hear from a lot of people that they know they had somebody who fought in the Civil War. And I often tell people, <laughs> if you're from this area and you know you, you had a Civil War ancestor here, then I would pretty much guarantee that you've got uh, someone who was at Kings Mountain. By the time you get back seven generations, you've, you're looking at over 100 <laughs> grandfathers. So. Uh-huh. What are the reactions that people have to the information that you give them? Do you get a sense that they feel like they're walking away with a greater sense of pride? Yeah, and I think that, that people are surprised that these stories are right here and they haven't been aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think a lot of people leave the muster grounds wanting to know more. And it's a good stepping off point as the Northern Trailhead to send people down the trail that they can continue learning these stories in all these communities Mm -hmm. through the trail corridor. Because I think also some of the the personal stories make this even more and more interesting. Uh, There was a lady that lived out here, Elizabeth Steele Moore. We, We think of this militia being so tough crossing the mountains and going to fight this battle. But when they came back and told their families about what happened, she was apparently looking for her husband, asking where he was, and, and got the news that he had been wounded in the battle and that they had just left him down there in South Carolina in some patriot's house to recuperate. And she apparently gave her baby to the neighbor and headed off across the mountains by herself to go find him. <laughs> So these are tough people. And she went down to South Carolina, knocked on doors, found where William was, nursed him back to health, 
hitched him on the back of the horse and drug him back across the mountains to bring him back home to Washington County, Virginia. You know, and that's the kind of story that you'll hear here. And as you travel down the trail corridor into all these communities, whether it's Elkin or Morganton or Elizabethton or anywhere that this trail goes, you get all those local stories, which is really enriching. Mm-hmm. Was there ever any real threat to the the women and children who stayed behind when the, the men and boys went to fight at Kings Mountain? Did any of them have to defend the home front themselves? No, I don't know of any incidents that happened during the, the two-week campaign to Kings Mountain, um, but we do have definitely records of of women taking up arms and protecting the forts um, at different times in the colonial era. Finally, let's talk about what the future is of the muster grounds and this whole story around the Battle of Kings Mountain and the sacrifices that were made. We've talked about how it may not be represented as well as it should be in the history books. Do you feel that that might be, no pun intended, turning a page, the work that you're doing in telling this story and and getting more attention to this area and its contributions? Yeah, I sure hope so. I think um, the town, when the town had the opportunity to buy this property, because it had been a private residence, and when it went up for sale, I think we're tremendously lucky that the town was able, able to acquire the land to purchase it for for, for preservation. Well, there's a lot of preservation work that needs to be done, but I do the right steps. And there's a lot of people who are passionately working on this. And the National Park Service has also done this restructuring in the South where they now have a group of parks together that are kind of under the umbrella of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution Parks Group. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that helps them tell a broader story instead of just the stories of the individual parks. So I think that that's helping to yeah promote all these stories. Well, thank you, Leanne Hunter, for giving us this information about the muster grounds, and good luck with the work that you're doing there. Thank you, Dirk. You have been listening to an interview with Leanne Hunter. She is a former superintendent for the Abingdon Muster Grounds, now works uh, as a volunteer and serves on their board of directors. You are also listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. I am your host, Dirk Moore, and you are listening to WEHC 90.7, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Thank you for listening.